This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Vincent Berchanti, CFO of Firehouse Subs, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 262. How as a finance leader are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Aiden Neary, CFO of Clean Coal Technologies. You know, for me, it really doesn't matter what what industry you're in, um, whether it's in banking or whether it's in manufacturing or whether it's in technology. There are common core goals that I believe that, uh, you know, that I've tried to stick to uh, during my entire professional career. You know, there's there's been so many of them, but I do remember one from uh, pretty much an early age and one that I actually stick with to this day. And and uh, it, it's when I was a child and we, we were redoing our, our, our kitchen and uh, we had a fridge that worked, but it didn't fit our new kitchen. So uh, my father left it out onto the street and said, working fridge free. And it sat there for three or four days. Um, I went out and put a sign on it and said, working fridge, 30 pounds. And it was stolen that night. And the, the reason this is an important story for me is, is because if you don't value what you have and you place no value on what you have, then nobody else will do so either. Listen to our complete interview with Aiden after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth? while reducing risk. Sage Intech provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intech provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Hello, we're speaking with Aiden Neri, CFO of Clean Coal Technologies Incorporated. Aiden, welcome. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Now, th- this company executes a process that actually uh, dehydrates coal, and then it produces a coal product that's more efficient in that you can burn less of it to achieve uh, your, your energy level. So we want to explore the offering with you. But first, uh, again, we'd like to start with our traditional opener, which allows us to find out a little bit about you, Aiden. And what were those career experiences, looking back, that you feel helped prepare you for this CFO role? Uh, thank you, Jack. Um, I guess that uh, my background is checkered um, and buried, uh, to say the least. It is. Uh, I, I went to university in London. I studied law. Um, I had a law, de- law degree. But shortly after receiving the degree, I... I, I started focusing on the accounting world. Um, I became a chartered uh, management accountant, and um, I fell into more finance-orientated roles, if you like. Um, I started working on uh, with a major uh, bank in London um, in their finance department, and then slowly uh, moved over to a, a kind of a business management, a business development role within the investment bank. 
Um, during that time, it has taken me to to you know, most of the, most of the countries in the world. I've lived in Hong Kong and Tokyo, and I finally came to New York uh, with the investment bank about 14 years ago. And I remained with that bank as the CEO for their global commodity business and then the chief of staff for their global equity business. Uh, but three years ago, um, I joined uh, Clean Coal Technologies, Inc. I was uh, had a call from Robin Hughes, who's the CEO, who I worked with at um, a point in time in, uh, in a, uh, on Wall Street. And um, he started telling me about the company and he started telling me what was going on. Um, I, I, I did my due diligence. I had a look at it. I felt that there was a lot of work that needed to be done, but there was something exciting about it. And uh, so I decided to join. So I've been with this company for three years now. So while you were in the, the banking world, I mean, those are, those are sizable companies. I mean, had you ever gone down the entrepreneurial path before in your career? And what was it exactly that allowed you to, to make this leap? Well, I, I haven't. I have not. I've been. Work, I've worked on Wall Street for most of my professional career. Um, I think it was time for a change. I felt that after the financial crisis, that you know, the corporate culture changed in investment banking. Um, it was not what it was um, in the years prior to it, which you know one could argue is a good thing or a bad thing. But for me personally, it um, it, it wasn't. It wasn't the way forward for me. So um, uh, when I when I got this opportunity, or when this opportunity knocked on my door, I decided I'd look at it. And um, even though we, we are a publicly traded company and have been for almost 10 years, to all intents and purposes, we're a startup um, because we are pre-revenue and we are a technology company and we have all the headaches, if you like, and challenges that a pre-revenue um, company have. Um, on top of the fact that being a public company, we have all the regulatory reporting requirements uh, to boot. Now, I'm, I'm aware that the stock took a, took a leap recently with some of the political events here in America. But I wanted to read this, if that's OK. You put out a, a press release earlier this week. And in fact, you had a webinar. Suddenly, there's a lot of intrigue around this. But um, the, the press release read that the unwarranted assault on the coal industry over the last 24 months has made an abrupt change, of course, with the election of Donald Trump into the White House. And it has created significant opportunity for the coal industry to start rebuilding this vital energy source in the U.S., both for the domestic production and consumption and also a start to rebuild the decimated export market. Now, um, again, this was on a press release, but sure. share with us some of the thinking uh, behind this and the fact that you mentioned this is a ten. This is a company that's been around a while, and it's really had a obviously a tough march forward. What? Uh, give us some sort of historical perspective as to what why this election you think might be a turning point. Well, I think that you, you know if you if you look at the the perception of coal um, in the United States. Um, it really was a four-letter word, and um, it was something that was not um, viewed as a positive way forward within the energy mix. Uh, the simple fact of the matter is, it, it is. It is a major contributor to, to energy in this country, and also, and as importantly, it is, is a major growth factor in the energy right across the world, and particularly in Asia. Um, I feel um, and we feel that 
the approach that has been taken uh, by by the the political regimes in this country um, have have not really helped. Um, in fact, hindered the whole coal production process within the United States. We we are all for regulations. Uh, we are all for for the environment. However, we also have to be practical. Um, as an example, with the, I mentioned about the export market, uh, you know, 125 million tons of coal were exported from the United States in 2012. Uh, this year, we're on track probably for somewhere like 60 million. So we, we've half the export market. Now, one can turn and say the strong U.S. dollar had to play a major part in that, and I'm sure it did. Um, however, we don't believe that the answer and solution is to shut these things down. We believe, and we always have believed, that the answer is is to address the coal. For example, you don't you don't drill for oil and then use the oil when it comes out of the ground, right? You refine it, you do stuff with it, so that it actually gets used to its maximum at the end uh, at the end product. We in this country uh, and around the world have pretty much. Um, mined the coal and burnt it as is, and then worried about the cleanup afterwards. Um, our, our technology is, is different. Ours is a pre-combustion solution, and uh, we believe that you don't create a problem and then look to fix it. You address the, you address the coal to start with, and then you burn um, a cleaner fuel. You burn less of it, and therefore your carbon footprint is reduced. We are working with um, Wyoming um, and a number of the coal states to see if we can uh, reinvigorate, if you like, their, their export markets. Uh, these people are hurting, and we believe that they didn't have um, a lot of support, um, but now with the new regime in place, or coming into place, we believe that the momentum has picked up again. Now, how do you exactly, do you partner with the uh coal mining companies uh, themselves or uh, you just mentioned how you uh, you know you work closely with certain states I would imagine but what what are the types of relationships you rely on right I mean that's a good question um, one of the things that uh, people uh, your listeners need to recognize is that it that, that this technology has been almost 10 years in the making uh, the science the engineering everything was done by SAIC um, some of the smartest scientists in the world. And th we finished building our test facility last December, and we spent five months testing it. So we literally just finished testing it in May this year. So it was only after that part that we can legitimately go to the DOE, go to the various different states, and go to legitimate clients and say, we're not standing in front of you telling you what we think we can do and um, what our technology can do. We're standing in front of you because this is what our technology has done. And so what we've done is the, we, we're working with the DOE. We've, we've, we've met, met them in Washington, and we've actually been reinvited back again um, following the, the, the recent election here in the United States. And you, they, they look at various different projects, and they look at our technology, and they try and assess where our technology can assist them in their technologies, if you like, and in their objectives and goals. Regarding the places like Wyoming, what these people have is they have the resource in the ground, the coal. What they haven't got right now is a way to be, if you like, competitive in the global markets because of the strong U.S. dollar and because of a number of other different factors and restrictions here in the United States regarding certain ports um, allowing for the export, uh, rail, rail um, carriage, etc. So we, we've met with the business development groups of Wyoming. 
And um, in fact, we've met with a number of the universities over there. And so we're working with them to see how we can best deploy our technology into their state to try and reinvigorate, if you like, the actual co-production and um, both both for, for ex- export, but also for domestic consumption. Now, can you give us maybe a short overview of coal pricing? How has the pricing over time been? Um, well, you know, the coal prices for, for the last two and a half years have really taken um, a, a downward trend, and uh, we've seen coal prices drop to the lowest levels for, for decades. Um, however, in the last six months, there's been, the last nine months, there's been um, a, a surge in coal prices again, and in many cases, those prices have actually doubled. Um, you, you look at the Asian markets, you look at demand. I mean, the, the demand, for example, in India, Right now, um, Prime Minister Modi from um, the Indian Prime Minister announced that they were that the, the primary mandate for his country was to provide energy to all all their citizens. Um, you know, the, depending on which you, what you look at, there's close to two between two and 250 million people in India who do not have access to energy, so no power, no electricity. Um, he has a mandate to actually do that by 2020. The reality of it is, is that the only way that, that, that India will be able to achieve this is via coal production and coal utilization. Um, so for people like that, when they make, make a decision like that, it has, a, it has large ramifications on, on international coal prices. If you look at places like Japan, uh, following the disaster, the nuclear disaster, the Fukushima, um, you know they've they've steered away from nuclear power right now, and they're actually um, increasing their coal consumption. In fact, they're, they're, the the coal plants being built there every few months, um, so th- their demand is increasing. If you look in chi- at China. China's demand continues to increase on uh, uh, for for coal. These are like key key countries that um, a small uptick in demand has a huge uh, result in the actual global uh, demand for coal, and then it just comes down to basic economics, which is supply and demand, and hence why we've seen an increase in the pricing for the last nine months. What I think is in- interesting, you pay close attention to political developments in you know different parts of the world, as well as uh, some of the financial metrics. Uh, on an average week, what exactly are your sources of information? What are you paying close attention to? A lot of our potential clients and a lot of our in- the interest in our, com- uh, our, our company and our technology is out of Asia right now, um, particularly Australia. In fact, we just came back from a trip to Australia. Um, Australia, Indonesia, and India, they're the three key areas that... that, that that um, large institutions are looking at our technology. So the first thing that I do normally is because of the time difference, that's my first go-to in the morning. It is to find out what's happening over there, whether or not there's, there's been any updates on what's going on in the Asian markets. Um, obviously, we look at um, the political regime here in the United States. And there's not a great deal one can do about that, but um, we, we wait and see what happens here um, in, in the coming months. And, and and really that's it. My my pri- my you know my primary goal, the first thing in the morning, is really looking at the Asian markets to see what's happening there, um, see what what continuation there is on this upward trend in coal prices right now. You then you then look at uh, you look at every aspect of this because this isn't just about coal prices. This is about 
you know your transportation costs you look at you look at barge you look at rail you you're, you're constantly looking at these opportunities where your your um, uh, upgraded coal um, can actually create create some value and some arbitrage opportunities depending on the pricing depending on where it is in the world You've uh, built an interesting uh, career over time, or really a global career. What? Um, tell us something about your career philosophy, and uh, what were some of the goals you may have set for yourself? You know, for me, it really doesn't matter what what industry you're in, um, whether it's in banking or whether it's in manufacturing or whether it's in technology. You, you know, there are common there are common core goals that I believe that uh, you know that I've tried to to stick to uh, during my entire professional career. I mean, you know, there's there's been so many of them, but I do remember one from uh, pretty much an early age and one that I actually stick with to this day. And and uh, it, it's when I was a child and we we were redoing our our, our kitchen and um, we had a fridge that worked but it didn't fit our new kitchen. So uh, my father left it out onto the street and said, working fridge free. And it sat there for three or four days. Um, I went out and put a sign on it and said, working fridge, 30 pounds. And it was stolen that night. And the, the reason this is an important story for me is, is because if you don't value what you have and you place no value on what you have, then nobody else will do so either. And, it, it, to me, it's it's very important that you you have to have the three P's. I call it the three P's: it's the passion, patience, and, and perseverance. You have to believe in what you're doing. You have to understand what you're doing, and you have to be patient enough to make it happen. These things don't happen overnight. You know, we've been three years in this company, and we just finished our testing six months ago. We've, we, you, know, you have to be very, very patient, and you have to be very careful with who you partner up with. Um, you know, unlike a lot of your listeners, we, we are a pre-revenue generating company, so all the accounting metrics that, that are important to a lot of the ongoing revenue generating companies do not apply to us. But what what we do look at is we look at the stuff that we are in complete control of, and that's costing and expenses and how do you streamline costs? How do you streamline your budget? How do you bring this down? How do you manage projects of building a first-of-a-kind technology? How do you manage the testing of that? The same, that applies right across the board. And I think that that's consistent with, I'm hoping, with all of your listeners um, and certainly those in the finance field. Um, you have to believe um, in what you're doing and you have to place a value on it yourself because if you don't, nobody else will. I wanted to ask, being a public company, uh, would this company have done things differently? Is it, uh, is it a plus or a minus that you're today publicly held? It is a minus. Um, it's a, when I say a minus, it's unfortunate that we're a public company. Again, um, my my um, my view is is that uh, to remain private until you're revenue generating is the best way to go. That's my view, um, because what you do once you become a public company is you you um, open yourself up to um, significant costs and time regarding regulatory reporting. And, uh, you know, when you're pre-revenue, that can become a very timely and costly um, process and obligation. Um, We have terrific shareholders. Uh, We've got shareholders that have been in this company for a lot longer than I have. Um, I even heard of this company. Um, They're there. They're believers. 
and um, we're just very happy that we completed the testing in April um, this year and we proved what we had said all along what the technology could do. And so now what we're doing is we're looking, we're looking to commercialize this technology. We're looking to actually bring some shareholder value into this company. And, uh, you know, as you know and your listeners know, that that will only come through signed commercial agreements and, and, and revenue. And that's what we're working quite hard on right now. Um, I, is it worth stepping back in time and asking you what was some of the decision making that led the company to go public? That was before your time, I imagine. Uh, long before my time, and um, you know, you, it's it's very very tough um, being um, a technology company, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners will will will, will recognise. It's also very tough being a technology company in the coal space because the history of coal technologies have not been very you know they've not been great. So your your battle is to overcome public perception about coal technologies. It's about um, overcoming public perception about coal usage. Um, again, Asia Asia is a marketplace that recognizes the absolute fundamental need for coal, and they use it. Here in the United States, we've always used coal. We continue to use coal. We recognize the importance of coal, but for whatever reason, it just wasn't. It was a taboo word for the last three years. That has changed right now. Um, regarding regarding the, the going public, unfortunately, that was way before my time. Um, and uh, you know, we, we I believe that we've we've turned the company around. We restructured our balance sheet as soon as I came in. I restructured our balance sheet. I cleaned it up, so it, it, it optically looked better, but also practically it looked better because I'm a believer again that. There is no point trying to build a major company if your foundation is weak. And you know, I, 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 when I first started in banking, there was a, a poster up on a wall, and um, I would never forget it. And I think it again very applicable to to everybody, certainly in the finance world. And it was for the want of a nail, a shoe was lost. For the want of a shoe, a horse was lost. For the want of a horse, a messenger was lost. And for the want of a messenger, the battle was lost. And for the want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And therefore, the kingdom was lost all for the want of a nail. And again, what it says is, if you don't do the simple things right, you're going to fail. Um, and so get the small little things correct, get them right, and then what you can guarantee is you won't fail because of that. And so we, we, we restructured our balance sheet. We put new controls in place. Um, you know, we, we basically started afresh. And um, and it's 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 going very well right now. Um, the global interest is is uh, increasing significantly, and um, hopefully we'll be able to start building on what I think is a very strong foundation. Uh, we've been very careful in who we we how we've patented this technology, and uh, we've used one of the best patent lawyers in the United States to do it. It's it's costly, but it's effective and it's the right way to do it. finance thought leaders don't go anywhere we're about to ask our finance leader guest for their business priorities over the next 12 months but first permit us 30 seconds to thank our sponsor you want smart 
clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay, our final question. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? Um, my, my personal priorities is to actually get this company to a revenue generation um, place. It is to actually start deploying the technology globally and it is to actually start creating true shareholder value. It's very, very difficult to do so when you're pre-revenue um, and because most of the value is based on speculation as opposed to fact. Um, I will, my job over the next 12 months in conjunction with the CEO is to actually uh, close these deals that are out there. Um, it's very, very important that um, we, we, we deploy this technology um, very soon, we're just in the middle right now of actually several deals where, um, where we're hoping that we'll be able to make announcements in the coming weeks about them. Uh, but it, it, it's, that, that's my number one objective. Number two is, is to start building a, a, um, a strong team of finance people um, so that we can actually cover the global markets effectively and that we can manage and monitor it effectively. Aiden Neary, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Have a good day. Hi, it's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, we're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever so short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOthoughtleader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching and we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at cfothoughtleader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply. Thank you.